this is bad. Well, I don't know. Then we, we could probably use that, detective. Oh, fucking life's crap. Anyone with a tattoo like this? Jealous, hungry, scared. It's like fucking circle. I just want to spend one fucking day on the other side of that. This is Ellipsis, the official companion podcast to an invitation to Destroyer, where I, your host, Jim Panola, chat with fellow fans, podcasters, film critics, filmmakers, and of course the artists behind Destroyer itself, where our conversations are unbound by the structures of the main series. My guest today is none other than Phil Hay, co-writer and co-producer of Destroyer, who also has writing credits on The Invitation, Ride Along 1 and 2, Clash of the Titans, Crazy Beautiful, and The Mysterious Benedict Society. During this episode of Ellipsis, Phil and I touch on a lot, including the unusual level of involvement that he's brokered as a writer and producer on set, how Aaron Bell's unvarnished shame attracted Nicole Kidman to the role, and how Phil once broke his finger playing football with Logan Marshall Green, among so many other tidbits, insights, and stories. Quick shout out to some of my wonderful Patreon supporters, Rupa Dasgupta, Wallstrich, Joseph Panola, John Panola, and Jane Panola. Without further ado, here's my talk with Phil Hay. Hi, Jim. Phil. How are you? Phil, I'm well. How are you? Great. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you. It's it's nice to be seen and heard. I'm glad my microphone yeah. is apparently working. It seems like it's resonant. It's completely resonant. <laughs> Thank God. Oh my God. It's it's great to see you, dude. It feels like it's been yeah. both both a very long time and a very short time I in know. some ways. That's true. That's true. Which, I guess that's how time works. But yes, um, exactly. Exactly. But it's it's it, it it's maybe it's fitting. Hopefully it's fitting because uh, I feel like that that is just such an umbrella sort of world and cloud that that i think describes uh so much of the the universe of destroyer yeah which... that's true <laughs> but time the i mean it's like this we often say it's about the brutality of time you know it's it well the inexorableness of time especially when accelerated by the sun oh yeah. gosh yeah wow oh, at, at least at least we have a sun to step into that's right um um, wow, gosh, this this is always surreal for me. I and I never want to take it for granted or take your time for granted or anything of that nature. And it's it's as much as much prep as I might try to do. There's this this feeling of because uh, I've I've been trying to articulate it and and reflect on it, particularly in the last few days. But the closest I've come is me being in this. Being reminded of, I think, particularly, I guess this was maybe around middle of 2019 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think back to uh, when I think it was within the first five or six episodes of an invitation to the invitation, I chose to weave in one of my favorite scenes, which is the Russian roulette scene. Mm-hmm. And and the reason I bring that up, the reason I've been thinking about it is because when I think in those terms, the fact that I very directly, very intentionally wove Destroyer into that conversation, mm-hmm. it feels like you and I sitting down right now, it feels like it's in a way the buildup started then back mm-hmm. in, you know, and of course you could make the argument it started when the first time I saw the movie, but 
in regards to just looking at at both the particularly those two films with such scrutiny the just the weird again that weird time dilation thing of just like what's the same what's different um mm. in many ways it's a very long-winded way of saying i i've been thinking about destroyer um just as long as i've been thinking about the invitation and it has been percolating and marinating for probably at least that that level of time back when i was trying to verbalize those parallels right on you know they're on the surface not as connected as they are subterranean subterraneously i suppose you know and i think that um you know i'm so happy that you're doing this again i'm so flattered and thrilled because i genuinely learn things about my own stuff when i listen to you talk about it and that's a very that's the highest compliment that i can give so i that that's that's on my list what you just mentioned but but hopefully want to want to arrive there with with mm. with maybe some more some more general build up in terms of ending where we start mm -hmm. um yeah. you know beginnings and endings being being such significant bookends uh this could be a great starter question or a great one to end on um so in in, in that spirit um i'm so so curious it's been a little over four years now since the movie premiered uh, uh approximately and unsurprisingly it doesn't need to be said but even under normal circumstances i think that would feel like lifetimes ago plural but especially in this time, place, era, eon, however you want to describe it, four years and however many lifetimes later. Yeah. What's your relationship to the movie? What's the same? What, if anything, is different? Like, hmm. how, how do you feel about the film with that, with that not insignificant gap from when it premiered, when you finished it to now? Yeah. Um, I know that's that's broad yeah. but I'm I'm curious. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that I you know, I think I I feel very um first of all I feel very close to it and very identified with it. You know, you know, it's it's on my mind every once in a while and it's there, you know, and I feel very um I feel it's very both it and the invitation are so very alive in my imagination and I you know, I still think about obviously the things that the movies are about, but I think about the making of them and I think about the, you know, um, the process of getting them out and the, the festivals. I mean, like it's sort of very big in my mindscape though. They're both movies are so um, incredibly important, obviously to me and to Karin and to Matt. And so um, I think that I've, it's funny. I don't, you know, I will occasionally go back and watch parts of it or I'll go, I'll, you know, I'll, it'll pop up on whatever service and I'll be like, I'm going to take a look. And I'm very happy to report that I feel like it, it's, it still pulls me in, you know, and I feel like it's, it's, um, you know, of course, uh, I'm far from an objective observer, but I find myself very, um, I think the stuff that it's about is still potent in, in there. And I think that, you know, I'm always, every time that I see it, I'm, especially I see something new in every, every time I see it, I see something, some little corner, some little character thing, some little moment of some kind of observation um, 
And, and I think that that's really great. It's like, it's funny, like when you are that deeply connected with a story and then it becomes a, a, a you know, a movie and its own artifact, you know, it, it becomes almost like a, like a religious text or something that you can kind of go back to it in a very different way that you go back to any other film that you love. And it, because you're in there and it's sort of like you're having a conversation with your own ideas, but you're having a conversation about how you've changed and you're having a conversation about time and you're having a conversation, you know, inevitably time goes by and, and, and your relationship with the people who made the film and everything is all part of that. So, so in answer to that, it feels, I feel very still intimately very connected with it and very much, um, you know, and especially thinking of, you know, I feel so it's a recharge of my gratitude to Nicole every time I see it because she truly, um, she gave so much to the, to the film. And because she's such an artist of integrity, she, it took a toll on her too. It was hard to do this character because she really had to get, she did what she had to do to get this part on, to get this character alive. And I'm so grateful that she did. It's, I love what you're saying because I feel like you, you express that so, so honestly, number one, but the thing that I'm sort of gravitating towards as you're speaking is this sort of just like that very, uh, I, I struggle to, to to articulate it, but that feeling of revisiting mm-hmm. a work of yours could be a piece of music, obviously a movie in this case, a uh, piece of artwork. There's there's such an interesting feeling. I'm sure there's a German word for it or something, but I'll do it every now and then with any of the above. I'll, I'll revisit something I made years prior after a long gap between engaging with it and there's something i think the way i'm sort of hearing what you just described is like i think that when you have that feeling that you just discussed of like oh i'm noticing new details or oh i'm in conversation with myself to me the way i'm receiving that is if you're having that response or a similar one to me it feels like a function of the level of honesty that you injected into the artwork at the time of its making so that years later when you do or however long later when you choose to revisit it and you don't cringe you don't wince to me that feels like oh that's sort of that's proof or that's evidence that when it was being made it was being made truthfully (laughs) yeah and and that's not nothing yeah no it's really important actually because i think you know also the knowledge of, you know, and since the movie, you know, we've made two seasons of a TV show and Karin has made another TV show and we've been writing a lot of things and next movies for Karin and all this stuff. So we've been doing all this, but it's really great that it's so, you know, that I think I, something I love about movies is when they turn out the way you want them to, regardless of however it plays out, you know, in the, in the world or anything, they can, they just create, there's a sense of energy and a sense of kind of, I don't know, comfort that is um, very, that, that it provides energy, you know, knowing that they're kind of safe in what they are, you know, that they, cause I think our upbringing in the movies has been one of, you know, great 
peril for the stuff we made and also great successes and great, you know, everything, great failure, great success, great, everything in between. Mm-hmm. And there does is a point where not just finishing the movie or finishing the cut or finishing or the movie coming out or getting first reviews or getting the rest of the reviews. There comes a time when it kind of settles into what it is for the moment in the culture. Mm-hmm. And once it, is that for both Destroyer and The Invitation, it's encouraging that people, I mean, you first among them, but that other people who have really embraced it and just made it part of their aesthetic world, you know? Mm. The fact that it's kind of crossed to safety is a really important thing for me, you know? Um, and that really, that's very meaningful and that's helpful going forward because it's sort of armor as the process goes forward of making other things and all the challenges that entails. Um I almost feel like it allows you to make more choices, you know, um, mm. because you're, 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 you have that, you have that behind you. And I think not behind you, like in the past, but behind you, like backing you up in some way. And so that's, so that's a great, you know, way to relate to it. And it's something you said, reminding me of, it's not a perfect analogy, but it might be interesting of like, you know, I was thinking about how there's, I always like, I would often wonder with like, um, like rock bands, like especially ones that last for a really long time, that when they go out and they sing, you know, whatever song they're singing for the millionth time, or like probably literally the like 50,000th time or something. And if it's a very emotional song, like, how do you get there? I mean, I'm thinking it depends on the person. They're all wired differently. Some people, it's more outside in and they can just perform by doing the words. It just happens. And some people never can get back to that. But there are other people who really, it's their way back into a version of who they were. And thus it contains the same potency and power and emotion. Because I've seen like one of my favorite bands of all time is the American Music Club, which is um, San Francisco band um, from the last couple of decades. And I, whenever I'd see their main concert, Mark Eitzel, their lead singer, he sings very um, incredibly written, emotional passionate songs and frequently when i see him and he's singing a song that's 20 years old about it maybe about a relationship that's like five relationships ago i don't know his personal life but you know i mean like he's crying and it's there and it's not a put on it's just he's that's how he does it you know and i really respect that and i feel a little bit like that with our movies like i get very emotional every time i see them so i treasure that actually Ah, oh, that's so, so interesting. And I love the rock band analogy because that's something I have frequently thought of myself. I think it's a fascinating, just a fascinating little conversation. But even, even before you started talking about that, I was thinking about <laughs> the, fir- the, the first question already where you were, you were still speaking about Destroyer in, in the present tense, essentially. Yeah. Which, which, I mean, of course, yeah, all right, there's this podcast going on, blah, 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 whatever. But that's, that's sort of tertiary. I mean, to me, why that's, why that's interesting and maybe revealing, uh, it just, I guess what the question I'm trying to formulate here is I'm thinking about the times I've heard Karin, maybe by contrast, and, and I'd love for you to maybe f- color this in, in in some way. But I found it so interesting when she first told me, 
and a little embarrassed. You know, she's like, I make movies so I can stop thinking about them. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, it's, you know, I think is both fairly common and healthy. I think that's, that's such a therapeutic artistic process. Um, but sort of, you know, by contrast, we've, we've, we've got you, Phil Hay, talking about how uh, this, this movie, in this case, Destroyer still occupies uh, your mindscape in, in the present tense. And I mean, I'm obviously someone who's, who's, you know, self-reflective to, to unhealthy ends probably, but, (laughs) but, but, but there's, I feel like there's something to be said for, for, um, especially you as, as co-writer, as co-creator of these characters, of this world and inventing it on the page before uh, a single frame was recorded. I, I can't, I can't imagine how, how, again, if it, if it was an honest undertaking, which it clearly was how you could ever really let them go. So to me, it's sort of, there's something comforting. There's something um, just, I think it, it just generally compelling about the fact that, you you either allow these characters to to uh, walk with you, or it's maybe they are they are so fully formed that they have just sort of clung to you. But mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's just something very strangely moving about um, carrying carrying them forward. Yeah. Um, in, in other words. In other words, and again, I could be completely wrong, but like I'm very attracted to the fact that you've got one major creator, in this case, the director, who's maybe more explicitly oriented towards, oh, this is a catharsis for me. Yeah. And then maybe another major creator who's like, well, yes, we completed their story, but they still exist. I think that, <laughs> that you know, I think it's true that, you know, we're all wired differently. And I think for, yeah, Karen is definitely more in the school of like, and maybe it's that she's so deeply, she's editing the movie exhaustively and every day. So maybe her experience in making it in that way, it, all those, all those corners or more of those corners are explored at all times, you know, in her process. But, and there's a more mystery because we write the script and we produce the movie and we're there every single day but there still is mystery when the cuts come back to us. Cause Karin, you know, we work, Karin works with Plummy the editor and she shows us when she wants to show us. And we, show, you know, we talk through things, but it's very much, you know, we're not like sitting there in the editing room. It's not the process, you know, and it's great that way. Um, and so, you know, it's sort of like, there are definitely more unexplored corners in our minds. And also I think it's just interesting people's different process because where they connect is, both Matt and I as an entity and Karen as an entity, we all have just do really different things every time. And I don't think there's, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of similarities in the, maybe hopefully in the ethics or the moral universe of some of these things, but they're very different movies. They're different genres or they're different approaches or they're different storytelling styles or they're different, you know, um, different everything. And so I think there's other people who like have a thing and they want to explore it from five different lenses, that thing. And that's a really valid way to do things too. And I think we're more like we have 
these ideas that all have a distinct world. And thus far, they haven't crossed exactly, you know, like they've been their own thing to explore. And I imagine maybe as we get older, some of them will start to cross a little bit more and we'll see. But one of the other things that it it brings to mind for me is especially because you are you're not solely screenwriter for destroyer you're one of the producers i was wondering and you know this is coming out of me re-listening to the fantastic commentary track that you and matt did but i'm curious how much of because you you hint and you can please correct me if i'm wrong but you you hint at you touch on the fact that um in destroyer's case you were basically just more of a presence than maybe is usually common on a set. Oh yeah. So I mean, writers free. I mean, it can be, but it mm-hmm. also, in our case, it's, it's essential. Like when we make movies like that, the three of us, Karin, Matt and I are just a unit together mm-hmm. and, and there's no place I'd rather be. So if I, you know, if I don't think I've ever, I think maybe I missed a half day on the invitation because I broke my finger playing football with Logan Marshall Green. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and uh, so I had to miss half a day to go to get a uh, get an X ray, and then I ran right back. You know, but like, I, it's really essential to us to like mm. be there always because I also find this, and I found this making our television show, Mysterious Benedict Society, as well, mm. which was made during the pandemic. And so the first season, we weren't able to be on set at all, but we were in this very garage, I had monitors, we had a feed, direct feed from everything going on at set, all the cameras, and we had a system to talk to the directors. So we were able to be there every single moment of every single episode, which is frankly rare in TV. Normally you're sending, you know, people cover, quote, cover set. And then in the second season, Matt and I, it was in Los Angeles and the pandemic had eased as much as it was easing or whatever. And we were able to go to set and be there. But for me, I love to be there for many reasons because one is I just love that physical place. Not everybody does weirdly, but, but that's always it's such a magical place for me, but also because I feel like, you know, I absorb it. I, I can just absorb everything. And then the cut, my idea of what's there, I know what's there as opposed to watching dailies every night, which is much, it's just more difficult because it's, it's, you know, if, if you have to do it that way, you have to do that way. But I don't really need to watch dailies very often unless I have a specific question because I've seen every take and I know in my head what is possible. You know, to me, that's very heartening. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm of that mind of that cloth. There, there's an invigorating quality I think to being on set. It's like yeah. you said, it's, it's so alive, and I feel like, uh, much like you're describing, simply being, being in that milieu, if you will, is. Uh, it just sort of you you get everything everything through osmosis you're you're just sort of you're you're seeing everybody's body language and, and yeah you can feel it like it. there is an intangible feeling in certain scenes and it's good to know that it's good to feel that and whether it's a feeling of oh we have to do something to this scene like something's not playing the way we want to or if it's just like oh i felt it like i felt this emotion here i felt it really strongly so then when you get to the cut if that if that emotion has somehow gone missing at least you know what the beacon is you know how to start clawing your way back there you know because you felt it and it was real and it was there and that's so you got to just find it again 
So it's helpful to be there when it's happening, if you can, you know, and sometimes what's interesting is the emotional stuff doesn't happen until the cut it, you know, or it, or you don't realize how emotional it is until you see it cut together. And it's because a choice was made that was unexpected or a choice that was made that was like exactly in concert with what you were hoping for, but you didn't really know how to look for it literally. And then you saw it, you know, Thanks for listening to this abridged preview of my interview with Phil Hay. You can hear the entire 80-minute episode, which itself is just part one of two separate interviews at patreon.com slash where you can also find a wealth of exclusive written essays, demos, and of course the entire Ellipsis back catalog, which can only be found on my Patreon. Thanks so much for your continued support, attention, and time. Thank you.